Good morning again, and welcome uh, to those who are here and those who are afar, uh, who aren't with us uh, personally. You know, uh, the Bible tells us that we are to have perseverance, and these are the days uh, that we have to persevere. And uh, I was just thinking back in the good old days how well we had it back then uh, before coronavirus and how simple life was and how complex it seems to be today. Uh, But we will persevere and uh, we will get through this with God's help, period. All right. Hey, uh, we're we're going to continue today uh, talking about heaven. And uh, we got to have a goal out there. We got to have something to look forward to. Uh, but we know that before we get there, one of two things is going to happen. First of all, Jesus is going to come back, or we're going to leave this world behind. We're going to die. And that's not a cheery thought to think about, but for the believer, um, death is nothing to fear. But I was thinking this week, have you ever thought of all the words and phrases that we use to describe death? It's kind of interesting when you think about it. We talk about someone who is deceased, someone who's asleep who's departed, gone, but not forgotten, in a better place, the late so-and-so, no longer with us, they are no more, and they passed away. And those are just terms that we use. Then there's the Bible terms as well, phrases like ashes to ashes and dust to dust, asleep in the, name of Je- in the arms of Jesus, in the presence of the Lord, they finished their race, they fought the good fight, they gave up the ghost, they met their maker, they've gone home, and many, many of the other phrases that we use, in fact, I got online and you wouldn't believe how many euphemisms there is, there are for someone who dies. Some of them are not so nice, I s- decided to skip those, but those are all just ways to say that we're all going to die someday, it's all a reality of that. We find many ways to say it. But today I want to focus on one word or phrase that I haven't even mentioned so far in that list of words to describe death, and that is the word rest. The word rest. We say that a person is at rest when they die. They've been laid to rest. They're an eternal rest. They've gone to their rest. They're resting from their labors. They are resting in peace. And we see that RIP, right? Sometimes not so uh, respectfully, but, but we see that out there. You know, last week we talked about work in heaven. We talked about the fact that the heaven's going to be a busy place, and today we're going to be talking about rest in heaven. And I think that's kind of appropriate because there really are two things that we do with the bulk of our time. If you think about it, we work and we rest. Normally we're asleep when we're resting, we're sitting in the chair, but we work and we rest. A few other things in the middle there, but basically we do these two things. That's pretty important. You know, we have a family friend that years ago, I remember I would work for their family a little bit, and she would say so often, she said, you know, I'm so tired. She said, I've been dead for years. I've just never had time to lay down. And I always thought that was so funny. She needed some rest. She was looking forward to some rest. You know, we've seen that heaven is going to be a busy place. It's going to be a place where we interact with other people, where we have places to go and things to do and lots to discover and explore and enjoy, meaningful and productive work we're going to be able to have. But there's also going to be rest, and that's good news to a lot of people. Because to be honest with you, this world is a lot of stress, and a lot of us are just needing sometimes some downtime, some time to rest. And God has provided for and also, by the way, commanded that we take time to rest in order to have a balanced life. But it's kind of interesting that some people can't get motivated to work and other people can't get motivated to rest, isn't it? I mean, there are some people that spend all their time trying to avoid working and other people who seem to have a fear of just sitting down and resting, we call them workaholics. 
But one day the Bible says there will be rest for the children of God. And today we're going to be talking about that and we're going to look at a scripture in Hebrews chapter 4 about rest and kind of seeing what it looks like, what heavenly rest will be all about. Now, before we do that, though, let's talk about Hebrews, because Hebrews is a book that was written primarily for the Jewish people. And it was written to them to try to convince them that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. See, for the most part, the Jewish nation never really acknowledged or still hasn't acknowledged who Jesus is. And the writer of this book, the book of Hebrews, which most people, I think, agree is the Apostle Paul, refers back often in the book back to the Old Testament, connecting people and events and trying to just kind of connect the dots to show, hey, this is Jesus. He is the Messiah that you've been looking for. So connecting the dots to Jesus. And so we're going to be talking about looking back into the Old Testament about rest, which is a really interesting kind of study uh, there. And and a little bit also goes back into chapter three. So let me back up a little bit and, and kind of do the setting and then we'll move into chapter four. In the last few verses of chapter 3, he's talking about the Exodus and about Moses, who, who of course, led the people of Israel out of Egypt. And if you remember, they came into Egypt as guests through Joseph, who had been led there by God and saved the people through a time of famine. They came in as a, a family clan of about 60 people. But 400 years later, there were like 2.5 million of them. Now, you can imagine if you just had a small group of people who came into a relatively small country and and soon they began to grow and explode and almost outgrow the population of the the home country itself, it was kind of threatening to them. And so the, uh, the Egyptians decided to enslave the people of Israel. And they enslaved them for some time, and they built these great cities and pyramids that we even have today. Many of, the, many of those were, bitten, uh, were built by the, uh, the Israelites. And of course, slaves don't get rest. You don't give your slaves time off. They don't get vacation. They don't get weekends or anything like that. They just work. And so God sent Moses to free them. If you, if you notice, they first of all asked just some time to rest. Moses said, let me take them outside the city, the country of Egypt, so we can get some rest and some worship. But the Egyptians refused to do so. So God sent the 10 devastating plagues. You've probably heard or read about them. And finally, because of the uh, persuasion of the plagues, the Egyptians released them, and they started their way home to the rest, the promised land that God had for them. And we know it took them 40 years to get there. A trip should have taken a few weeks or a month or so. At the most, took 40 years to get there. And the reason, of, of course, is because they did not trust God and, and obey God, and also because they grumbled and complained. And because of that, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And also, everyone over 20 years of age actually died in the wilderness, They never got home. They never got to experience the rest that God had promised. God had said, I'm going to send you to a place of rest, but they never got to do it because they were disobedient. So in chapter 3, beginning of verse 15, it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Obviously, your ancestors he's talking about. Who were they who heard him and, and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now, in reality, there were only two people 
who were over the, year, the age of 20 who actually got to go into the promised land. You may know who those, those were. There was Joshua and Caleb. And they, by the way, were the two spies that trusted that God could deliver the land the first time they came to the border of the promised land. So almost everybody died because of their lack of faith and trust in God. Even though the rest was promised, they never got to experience that. You know, God has a rest that is promised to everyone, and that's our eternal home in heaven. But we have to believe and we have to respond in order to experience that. You know, I, I just think about rest and I think about home and I think about heaven and all that together and, and what we kind of see as our place of rest, our home now. And, and you know, I, there's something special about home. Thankfully, there is, right? Because a lot of us have been stuck there quite a bit for the last few weeks and months. But if you're on vacation, oftentimes you just want to get home. I mean, a vacation is great to go on, but it's even better to get home from. And, and we get homesick. If you travel for work, you just want to get home. You just want to get home and what? Sleep in your own bed. Because many people can only rest well when they are at home. And I believe that's how we are for heaven, to be honest with you. There's something that makes us restless. We talked about that a few weeks ago, how that we long to get somewhere. There's something, an uneasy feeling, a feeling of dis being dissatisfied until one day we're going to reach that heavenly home and that place of rest. The Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. So he's put a longing in us for that. So it's very natural for us to long for that. Hebrews chapter four says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they will never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. So just like God offered rest and provided rest for the Israelites if they were faithful, he's offering that rest to us as well. The promise of us entering his rest still stands today. And you know what? We have not only the promise of rest, but we have more importantly the good news of how we experience that. We have a more complete invitation, a more complete promise, because we have the good news of Jesus about how to enter his rest. Everybody else was just kind of working on their own goodness to get there, but we have the rest already provided for us. So the invitation to God's rest didn't help them because they didn't believe or obey God. So he didn't let them go into the promised land. They all died and they never got to go to rest. In the same way, Paul's saying, look back at that and think and warning us, don't miss his rest. Don't miss his rest. You know, have you ever noticed that we spend most of our time looking forward to rest? I never thought about this, but we really do. For example, we get up in the morning and we get to work and some of you who drink coffee, you know, like I just got to have my coffee to get by and I can't wait till what? Till quitting time. I can't wait till the end of the day and go home. And then, then you work all week. And about, about Wednesday, we call it hump day. Why? Because it, from there it's downhill and we get to rest for the weekend, right? And we work all year because we look forward to vacation where we get to go, hopefully, rest. And you work a career, a lifetime, many times hoping for retirement because you want to rest, because you've worked hard. We spend most of our time looking forward to rest, but sometimes we work so hard killing ourselves in this life that we don't really appreciate rest, and we don't take the rest that's given to us or should be provided for us. 
You know, if you have a family, and our family has grown now, but I remember back in the days of our kids, I don't think we had a lot of rest. It wasn't a very restful time. It was, it was a challenging time. It was a very stressful time. I remember we moved here, and our kids were small, and where we moved from didn't have a lot of opportunity for our kids to do, but boy, we got here, and this was like the Mecca for children's entertainment. Never seen a place like this that you could, could have so many things, and so we're like, we want our kids to do everything. And we tried that for a while until we were exhausted. We had our kids in this sport and that sport, sport and activities and practice and all those different things. And, and you know what? We spend our time, a lot of people do, just running here and there, always hurried, always late, always tensed out, always stressed out, eating on the run, eating in the car. You know, that was our life for, for a while. We finally realized, you know, that's not a life that's healthy, first of all, for us or our kids. And there's no rest in that. There's no peace in that. And so finally we decided, you know what? We're going to cut down some of these things. And, uh, and our kids, I think, are the better for it. But we decided, you know what? We're going to limit our kids what they do. And we're going to establish some margin and some peace in our family. And here's how we decided to do that. We said, you know what? There are some things that our kids don't need to do at all, and they're not going to do them. There are some options. There are some things that they really need to do. And so because we are Christians, not because we are a, a minister's family, we decided, you know what, the most profitable thing would be church activity. So those things are at the top of the page. Those are the things that are of most value because they're going to last. We're going to instill faith in our children. We're going to have people in the church who love our kids, who are helping us raise our kids and the community of the church. Church activities come first, and then one sport or activity at a time. And really, what our, only what our kids really want to do, not just what's out there, what other people think they ought to be doing, other kids are doing what they want to do, and we're going to build in some rest time. Our home is going to be a place of rest. Now, it wasn't a perfect place, obviously. We struggle like everybody else. But the reality is that we need to establish some boundaries of rest in our lives. And I'm talk more about that in just a few moments here, about how to do that. But we need to live our lives not only with uh, balance and work and rest, but also with a future vision of preparation for heaven. Because, you know, many of us are going to leave this world behind and we're going to be, we're going to rush into death more than likely because that's how we live everything else. And we're going to get to heaven and it's going to be different there. Let's prepare for heaven by living a life of balance here. Look at verse 4 of chapter uh, Hebrews 4. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his words. You know, sometimes the Bible just kind of makes you smile and kind of chuckle. And have you ever said, I know it's in the Bible, I just don't know where it is? That's what the writer's saying. If this is Paul, Paul's going, somewhere in the Bible, it says God said something about the seventh day. Well, it's a pretty important place. Actually, it's in the book of Exodus chapter 20, uh, what we call the Ten Commandments, because this is the fourth commandment that God gave to his people. I'm sure Paul knew that. He's probably just speaking offhand here. But God commands us to rest. Here's what he says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your t towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, that's the fourth commandment. And by the way, it is the longest commandment 
which I think is kind of interesting. He really goes into detail and talks a lot about the Sabbath day that we are to keep. So God established the idea of a day of rest, and he called it Sabbath. Now, I always thought that Sabbath meant seventh, didn't you? I always kind of thought it meant the seventh day. But the word Sabbath actually doesn't mean that. It means rest or interruption. It means an interruption to your life. This day, this day of rest is going to be an interruption to your life, right? You're going to stop what you're doing, and you're going to rest for your own good. The Sabbath is a command and a promise. It's a command, do this, and the promise, if you do, you're going to be healthier, and it's going to be a promise of victory for the people of God. If you look at the text there, it's going to be a win for righteousness, and more importantly, it's going to be that God's work is going to triumph in the earth, it's going to overcome evil, and it's going to bring rest to the entire world. And I will tell you, our world, I think, is longing and starving for rest, In Romans chapter 8, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So our world, our creation is under stress and longing for some rest. And these words were written 2,000 years ago. So bring that down to today. No wonder there is stress and pressure in our world today. God says you need a Sabbath. Now, where does the word Sabbath come from? Well, obviously, like we read just a few moments ago, it comes from creation. In fact, Sabbath itself is a work of creation. The Bible says in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but he rested on the seventh day. He rested and he blessed it and he made it holy. So rest actually can be holy. If you have struggle with setting down and resting, uh, it can be a holy thing. It can be a, a good holistic thing for you. So understand that God said on that day of rest, There should not be work like you normally do for yourself, your family, your servants, or even your animals in the field. So if God appointed, maybe even needed a day of rest himself, then don't we need it even more so? Even more so. Well, obviously, the Sabbath day, as God made in creation, rested that day, it was the seventh day for for Saturday, what we call Saturday today, to celebrate a finished creation. So they rested on the seventh day because of the finished creation God had made. For Christian today, our day, most notable day of rest is Sunday. And the reason for that is to celebrate a finished salvation. It was on the first day of the week that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he told us when we come together on this day, we're to worship together. So that becomes our day of Sabbath. Now, the traditional work week actually even reflects that. Traditional work week, I said, because we've kind of gotten away from that. See, back in the day, whenever our country became more industrialized and set up the work week, there was actually disagreement about what days they should be off, what that Sabbath day. There was really concern at that point about a day of rest for people. Some said it should be Saturday. Some said it should be Sunday because of the the Jewish and the Christian faith. And so they decided to take both Saturday and Sunday, and that actually became the weekend. So if you want to thank somebody for the weekend, it would probably be Henry Ford. He's the one that kind of led in the, the Ford Motor Company and uh, the industrial movement. So we have a weekend because of that. Now, the weekend is ours, and because a lot of people work on Saturday, as we all know, doing something, the Sunday has often become our only day off. And in our mind, it's fully justified to us to say, this is my day to do what I want. But what we're doing is we're replacing it as God's day. And in fact, many people have taken God, God's day of rest and worship and stolen that to make it their very own. 
But you know what? It, it's, that doesn't surprise me because man has always taken a lot of freedom with God's day. Even in the Old Testament, the day of Sabbath, they made it what they wanted it to be. See, God set the Sabbath day. He, he established that even in the Ten Commandments. But that wasn't enough for some people. Just knowing you should rest is not enough. They decided to add to that, like the, the Jewish people, Jewish leaders did it in most of God's laws. They actually made it so legalistic that it was throttling. It was hard to even rest. For example, uh, they set their own rules as to what you could do and could not do on the Sabbath day. Jesus bumped into this quite often. In Jesus' day, they had a 39-point checklist as to what really was work things you could not do. You could only walk a certain distance, a very short distance. You could not prepare food. You could not heal a person who was sick. These were things that Jesus saw as legalistic, man-made rules, and he simply ignored them. Maybe you remember the time when his disciples were walking through a field of grain, and they just reached down with their hand and stripped some of the grain off. Maybe you've done that. They kind of rubbed it in their hands, blew the chap away, and popped it into the mouth, just the raw grain. And they were accused of breaking the Sabbath day. In fact, they accused them of four rules, reaping, winnowing, threshing, and preparing food. And Jesus said, that's absurd. That's ridiculous. In fact, what he, what he said clearly, he said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God didn't say, here's a day. Now, everybody, I'm going to make you to keep this day. God said, here you are. You need to make sure that you get some rest. And so this is the Sabbath day to do rest. Now, Orthodox Jewish people still keep these Sabbath laws. Uh, we, that's not a part of my culture. Maybe you kind of understand that. My wife used to work for a lady who was uh, very Orthodox, and they kept these laws. In fact, on Friday afternoon, she would leave work early, and they would check into a hotel close to their temple because they lived too far from it to actually drive on the Sabbath day. So from Friday evening at 6 o'clock till Saturday on 6, they would, they, many of them still observe very strict rules. In fact, I was uh, reading a story about a man who visited Israel, and he got on an elevator on the Sabbath day, on the, what would be Saturday, and when he got on, there were a whole bunch of Orthodox Jews who joined him on the elevator, and he was a little bit surprised, but they really seemed eager to get on, and they, when he got on, they got on, they said, well, you push the elevator button for us, and he said, uh, sure, why? And they said, well, that would be conducting electricity to push that button, and we can't do that on the Sabbath day, but if you do it, we can ride up along with you. And he goes, well, what would happen if I didn't come along? And he said, well, there are other elevators that stop on every floor, but nobody wants to ride them. It takes too long because they, don't want, they want to avoid working, keeping the law, and, uh, but they also don't want to be inconvenienced. Another guy told him, he said, uh, uh, he said, what do you do if you have to go a far distance on the Sabbath? And he goes, well, you know, obviously we can't do that. And, and there's one exception, though, and that is if we're traveling on water. Uh, if you're traveling on water, it doesn't, there's no limit. So he would uh, bypass that and get the exception by taking a bottle of water and putting it under his seat. So he was traveling on water. You see... We can talk about legalism a lot, right? And we can look at those things and say, that is so ridiculous. That's what Jesus said. You know, he said, that's just absurd. But you know what? Legalism is everywhere, everywhere. And it's not just the people in Jesus' day who made rules. Uh, this goes back a few years ago, and some of you will, will connect with this. But a few years ago in our first church, Lori uh, wanted a clothesline. She loved to hang clothes out. And so I put her up a clothesline. But one Sunday afternoon when she was hanging out a few clothes, uh, she was confronted by an elder of our church who was driving by on his way to feed his cows. 
who told her that she should not be hanging laundry on Sunday. He was going to feed his cows, which sounds like more work than hanging clothes on a line to me, right? It's amazing how we all have our clarity of what we can and can't do and how we add to God's way or we co-opt God's day to make it our own day. We steal his day, we make it ours. What we can and can't do. Or today I think people have gotten away from most of that, but here's the other thing. It's what we choose to do on Sunday and what we choose, whether we choose to worship or we choose to make it our own day. And I'll be honest with you, I think this pandemic has made it worse It has made it worse. In a day of convenience, you know, we don't even have to sit down and watch the service at 9.15 or 11. We can put that off. But what I believe happens many times is when we put it off, we never get back to it. I don't want to be legalistic, but I'm just saying this is God's day, a day of rest. We need to keep it holy. We need to celebrate and we need to worship like God intended for it to be. This whole idea of rest of taking a break, of worshiping, respecting who the day belongs to. Let's get back to Hebrews chapter 3. Started meddling, I'm sure. Let's get back to Hebrews chapter 4, excuse me. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. So in other words, there is a rest that we're invited into, and God is calling us to that rest today. Every time God calls, he talks about the day of Joshua, he talks about the day that David calling us into rest, and Jesus calling us into rest. Now, obviously, one day we're going to experience that rest. It's going to be in heaven, eternal rest that we talked about. But you know what? We presently can experience that rest today in a relationship with Jesus. We can, we can uh, immediately experience that rest. Jesus said this. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So we don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience rest and peace. We can experience that right now in Christ. In Jesus, we can find rest from our burdens and our struggles and our frustrations and our exhaustion. In fact, I think one of the most compelling reasons to follow Jesus in addition to salvation is the peace that he wants to give us. And, and the, the unfettered life, the unworried, unburdened life that, can be, that we can experience. Today, Christians, we ought to be living lives that reflect not only balance and work and rest for our health, but also, more importantly, that reflect our faith. And the Bible says this, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example, these rebels in the Old Testament, their example of disobedience. So, so the Bible says we either enter his rest or we perish. Have you ever heard anybody say, there is no rest for the wicked? I've heard that. And, and that's pretty accurate. It's more than a cliche because only the righteous are going to experience true rest in Jesus and one day in heaven. 
You know, I said before, we oftentimes use that phrase, rest in peace or RIP. Someone said there is no rest without peace, and Jesus is the only way to both. There is no rest without peace, and only Jesus can give us peace or rest. In fact, in Revelation chapter 14, John says, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor. Heaven is a promise of eternal rest if we die in the Lord. And you know what? We need to make a day here to make it our Sabbath day, not like every other day. To make it a day of worship, a day of rest, of putting God first. And obviously for most of that, that day is going to be on Sunday. That's today. And I'm glad you're here and you're making this a priority I'm glad we live under the freedom of Christ that says you can go out this afternoon and enjoy some other things, hang some clothes on the line, feed your cows if you need to do that. You're resting, you know, whatever you need to do, but you put God first. And when you honor God, I believe that God blesses you in all those things. Now, if you work on Sunday, it complicates it, right? But it doesn't mean that you still can't have some day of the week that you rest, that you take a break from everything else. Because God wants us to rest. Now, obviously, we have experienced the rest as Christians in Christ, but one day we're going to experience eternal rest. We're going to go to be with God in heaven. And, and obviously, we haven't entered that extreme experience of rest just yet. We still have work to do here. God's leaving us here for some reason. The Bible says that there are good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Let's be faithful in pursuing those things. Let's work. Let's do the work God's called us to do and, and obey Him in everything. But there does remain our Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's going to be in heaven. Now, I do want to clarify this. I don't think that heaven is all going to be all rest. You're not going to sleep all the way through heaven. You're going to work. You're going to serve. You're going to fellowship. You're going to worship. You're going to have energy. You're going to have strength. You're going to, you, you know, you're not even going to need that. I don't know if we're even going to sleep in heaven because there's no night. The Bible says in Revelation, there's no night in heaven. So maybe there is no sleep. Maybe there's no need for sleep because we won't need to be revitalized physically. We'll have that in our resurrected body. I don't know. But I do know that heaven is going to be a place of energetic service and joy, peace, and rest. Hell, on the other hand, will be misery. We will never be able to rest. There will never be any peace in hell. And I'm going to wrap this series up next week on heaven by talking about hell. I think it's got to give it a little bit of air time, right? So we're going to talk about that next week as we wrap up this uh, good news series, and then we'll move on to another subject here. But before we leave this morning, let me just say this. If you long for and anticipate the rest that heaven's going to provide, that you can experience that peace of mind and that rest right here on the earth in Jesus Christ. Because he will give you rest for your soul. And I hope that you have that rest. I hope that you're living in the hope of that, but also in the personal experience, in the present, and that rest. And I pray that God's giving that to you. But I will tell you that without Jesus, you will have neither peace nor rest. And I would love to talk to you and share with you. I don't know what your next step in Christ is. I know that, that a lot of people, we, we talked earlier right before Easter about some people making decisions and giving their life to Christ and being baptized, and we, we're seeing that happen. But if that's on your heart and mind, I would love to talk to you. You know, I know there are people uh, who are listening online that are a little bit afraid to get out in public just yet, and, 
And if that's you, we would be glad to do a private service of baptism. We talk and, and just share with whoever you want to be at, at your service. But I just want to encourage you during this time to pursue the decisions that God wants you to make. Pursue the relationship that, that you need to have in order that heaven will be a reality for you someday. We're going to segue right now into a time of communion. And again, I think a part of that promise that Jesus gave us about rest is the reality of us being able to have a reason to rest and find peace in Him. And this is what our time of communion gives us. Hopefully when you came in this morning, you grabbed one of the little um, communion kits that were in the back. Or if you're at home, you prepared for this moment as we do every week. So I would encourage you, if you would, just to take it this time, this this kid and the bread that represents the body of Christ and the juice that represents the blood of Jesus. And if you would take that out just now, I'm going to have a word of prayer and then we'll share together. Heavenly Father, we come to you and Lord, there's a longing in our hearts to be with you. God, you put that there. You made that a part of our lives. And in fact, many people spend their entire life just searching and longing for, for that moment, that hope that connects us to you. Father, I'm grateful that we as your people have discovered that. And Lord, we know that we are not perfect. We're far from it. But, but Jesus has done all the work for us so that we can rest in him. And Lord, I thank you for this bread and this cup that we're about to take that would symbolize the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of our Lord for us on the cross. And Lord, would you give us that long in our hearts as we partake, draw us to you. Help us examine ourselves in these moments. In Christ's name, amen.